Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. Welcome to those watching online and those here on site this morning. And uh, my heart is so full of gratitude. Like so many times it takes, sometimes you got to be away from something for a while to realize how special it is. This past week I was coaching some church planters up in Houston and we were talking about our church, coaching through it, and I was just remembering what God is doing there. Man, isn't that worship? Wasn't our worship team just awesome, right, man? It wasn't there. Man, that doesn't happen everywhere. Spirit-filled worship. And, and I look around here and I thank God, man. We look like 31 flavors. I know we celebrated that week, but man, thank God for the diversity. Here's what I know. God is moving in Freedom Church. He's positioning us, and man, I want you to keep in prayer our next steps. We, by faith, I believe, even in the midst of a pandemic, God's going to give us faith to build that building in 2021. How many of you guys believe with me that that's going to take place soon? Just, man, we're working. So just giving you an update, we're having a, me- a bi- meeting with our, our contractors and getting everything set up for the city, so we are closer than we've ever been so keep that in prayer and how many guys know a delay does not mean a denial it's God's timing is always perfect so I'm excited for what God has in store in the midst of all this we need a tool to reach people and thank God for that man I'm excited what God is doing but just in case you haven't noticed we are right in the middle of a political season how many guys have kind of noticed that and honestly I don't think we've seen more despair and unrest and politics in our entire lives 2020 has been crazy, hasn't it? We've endured a pandemic, economic crisis, riots. And, and here's the thing. All while, all while politics seems to be dividing our families, our churches, and our nation. And especially living in a place that is so polarizing in politics like Central Texas, it gets crazy. Man, I see signs everywhere from different people like their hope is in a sign. And you probably, if you're like me, you probably find yourself thinking this, where is God in all this? God, have you forgotten us? And this morning, we're going to look at a story of a man named Daniel who found himself in a political situation far worse than what you and I are seeing today. And if you grew up in church, you probably heard about the story of a guy by the name of Daniel who was thrown into a lion's den. And while he was in the den, those ferocious lions turned into cuddly kitty cats. And growing up, I thought it was maybe just an action story for kids. But as I've gotten older, I realize the story of Daniel is more an example for adults. An example on how to live in very dark times. See, Daniel led his people to three national revivals in his lifetime. So let me set the stage for you for Daniel chapter 1. If you have your Bible, we're going to Daniel chapter 1 this morning. It's 605 B.C. God's people, Israel, have been captured. Their temple has been raided. Their kids have been kidnapped. And they're taken uh, as exiles out of Jerusalem into Babylon. And this is what Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And I want you to circle, underline, highlight, smiley face this next verse that's coming up because this verse is so powerful. It sets the tone for the entire book of Daniel. And the Lord gave, especially that. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
into his hands. When we read the book of Daniel, it was not written as a diary. The book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Daniel looks back at his life and he says, let me tell you about the significant, important things that have happened. And if you've ever lived life, you realize as you live life, especially the plan of God, things always look clearer in the rear view than they do in the front windshield. And this is what, exactly what Daniel is saying. As he's looking back of his life, as he's recollecting how God has used him and the life that he lived, he looks back at his darkest days and he understood verse 2. That's why he opened up the book of Daniel with verse 2. The first thing that he says is this, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar, then the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. This is very important. I want you to grasp what's happening here. The vessels in the house of God were holy. They were not to be messed with. And if you messed with these vessels, you paid a heavy price. For example, in 2 Samuel, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and these vessels are falling off the ark and there's a guy by the name of Uzzah he reaches to stop the vessels from hitting the ground and he reaches out to stop these vessels from hitting the ground and what happens he dies because he is unclean and he touches them in an unworthy manner but yet What's amazing, yet here God says to Nebuchadnezzar, Ah, Nebuchadnezzar, take all these precious vessels. You can touch them. Put them in your temple and go ahead and mock me. Because you know what Nebuchadnezzar did? It's interesting. He put these vessels in the temple of his God to show that his God was far superior than the God of Israel. It was a political ploy. All while this is happening, we've got to understand, why did this happen? I want you to see this. Yet, who was it that gave Nebuchadnezzar the vessels of the temple? Remember verse 2, the Lord gave. Here's a powerful truth. It's the driving thought that allowed Daniel to make a difference in his culture, that God is in control of who's in control. In the midst of even darkness, God's in control. I know we were raised in a democratic culture. We think we're in charge. And there is no doubt we have a role to play. We should be vote. We should get involved. But ultimately, let me tell you this. God is in control of who's in control. There's not a president that's been elected. There's not a king that's come to power. There's not a dictator that's ruled without God's hand in it. God decides who has power. And God is never up in heaven saying, what do I do now? He is not in an emergency board meeting right now looking, America's out of control. The world is going crazy with COVID. We have these secret payments to, from a Russian billionaire. I don't know what to do. What should we do? He's not calling and bringing in input from anybody else. Let me tell you something, Freedom Church. God is in control of who's in control. People say, oh, my goodness. What if we don't get the right person elected in the office? It's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't get the right laws passed and the right policies, it's the end of the world. If we lose our religious freedoms, it's the end for us Christians. Let me encourage you with what Daniel knew and how he lived his life, Freedom Church. God is in control of who's in control. As Christians, that should fill us with hope and faith. And when you grasp that, It'll change everything about you. It'll change your attitude and your actions. And I want you to see how this hope impacted Daniel's life. Look at verse 3. The king commanded Asphenes, his chief eunuch. A a eunuch means somebody who's no longer functioning as a male. That means they had taken off his manhood. That's what a eunuch is. 
to, in the, the chief eunuch to bring some people of Israel, both royal and the family of, and of the nobility. And I love Daniel's humility as he describes himself and his three friends. Look at this. Youths without blemish, good appearance and skillful, in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, if I have to say so myself. I'm not bragging, but if I'm bragging, I'm bragging on me, Daniel's saying. In verse 4, to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. They are being sent to college to serve the king. And this is, what, this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to teach them the wisdom and the literature of the Chaldeans. If you understand history, you know that this study is the study of astrology and the occult. Daniel is forced to learn Satanism. He goes from learning God's holy word, studying the Torah. Now he is forced to learn Satanism. That's a dark time. Look, look what happened, verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king to serve the king. Verse 7. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. I don't think we understand how dark these times were for Daniel and for Israel. So many times we're like a fish in water. And when we read these stories, we read them through a Western lens. But I want you to feel the darkness that's going in. Man, Babylon, Babylon was a very dark culture. Actually, it's the personification of evil in the Bible. When the angels are up in heaven talking about how bad things have gotten in human history and how evil it is, they don't talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't talk about Nazi Germany. Their sin city isn't Las Vegas. It's Babylon. Actually, in Revelation 18.2, right before Jesus returns to the earth to restore the earth, the angels cry out with great joy because justice is finally coming to earth. And you know what they say? Man, they shout for joy. They say, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Glory to God. They're so thankful the Babylon and worldview is destroyed finally and God's kingdom is established. See, the government-sponsored religion in Babylon was a cult. Historians tell us that there was a violent, bloodthirsty culture. And look at Daniel's dilemma. He's kidnapped. He's taken 500 miles away from his family, and he's taken to serve a godless king to learn the occult. And kings in those times, they had a harem of women. And if you're an old, ugly king with a lot of girlfriends, the last thing you would want is a guy like Daniel describes himself. Someone good-looking, smart, funny, and with a six-pack around all your ladies. So you know what Nebuchadnezzar does? He takes care of that really quick. You know what he does to Daniel? He castrates him. And every guy says, Can you talk about a bad day? On top of that, he changed his name to honor Satan. Daniel's name meant Yahweh is my judge. He changed his name to Belshazzar, which meant Bel's prince. It means demon god. Man, think about Daniel's week. Kidnapped, castrated, forced to learn the account, the occult and Satanism, and he's renamed Satan's boy. Man, we thought 2020 was bad for us. Yet in those dark times. He found a way to honor God and lead his culture to three national revivals. How? Because he understood this principle. No matter what happened, God is in control of who's in control. And that was his hope. That anchored him. So let's pray that God puts that hope in us and allows us to live with that passion this morning. Lord, we come before you. 
And I know, Lord, there's so many things that are messing up our minds and he has us full of anxiety. But say this morning, Lord, open my ears to hear and open my heart to receive. And God, renew my hope in you that you are sovereign and that you are in control. Amen. And as we look at this, I want you to see that Daniel lived with five attitudes that changed his culture and his world. And those five attitudes should be coming out of every Christian's life. They're hope, conviction, humility, excellence, and grace. And I want to briefly unpack them this morning. Let's look at the first one, hope. Daniel knew that even in Babylon, that God was in control of who was in control. And here's what he understood. Sometimes the short-term success of the wicked is God's will. The Babylonians were wicked, but the Israelites were God's children, and they, they were disobeying God. Actually, for 23 years, actually for decades before God was asking Israel to repent, he was asking them to come back, and they wouldn't. And how many of you guys know that there's always consequences to our actions? Always. And sometimes, here's the reality, we don't feel those consequences right away. Sometimes we feel like we're getting away with it. Sometimes we think like it's not going to impact it. But let me tell you, there's a payday someday. And God was trying to get Israel to turn. How many know God's been trying for a long time to get the United States of America to turn back to him and repent and turn? And 23 years before this story, God had been speaking to Israel through a prophet by the name of Jeremiah about repenting and turning to God. Let me read you what he said in Jeremiah 25.4. He said, the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again and again. But verse 7 says, but you do not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger. Verse 11 says this. The whole country will, he begins to prophesy over this country. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. Here's the consequences of their actions being felt. Israel has been taken away into Babylonian captivity. And as they're being taken away, Jeremiah gives a prophecy that has been taken out of context so many times. Maybe you've taken out this, this passage out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11. He says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a hope and a future. Let me tell you the context of what, when Jeremiah is saying that. In the middle of their despair, in the middle of all this bondage, he's not like, oh, you're going to have a great life. What God is saying is through Jeremiah, even through the difficulties, even through your disobedience, even through disobeying me, I still have a plan for you. I still want to use you. And I'm still working in your life. Sometimes God disciplines those he loves. This is like when you're a kid and you get in trouble and you're about to be whooped. And your dad says, it's happened to me a lot as a kid. Son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm like, Dad, give me that bell. Let's see who hurts more. Man, that's not crazy. That's nonsensical talk, right? Let me see you and we'll see who it hurts more, right? If I told him that, I won't be living today. But I wanted to tell him that. But now that you're a parent... You know how true that is. You don't ever want to discipline your kids, do you? But no, you have to. You have to. God disciplines those he loves. Like, man, every one of us, let's be honest, we go out into the mall, we go to the restaurants, and we all have a brat alert. There's brats everywhere. Kids going out, go, I got out of control. Kids that aren't listening. Kids on the floor just going crazy. How many of you guys ever seen some brats just everywhere? You know what I don't, I don't do? I don't go on bat patrol putting every kid in timeout. Sometimes I wish I would, but I can't do that, right? But when my kids were little, they were brats. I brought the brat beat down on them, every one of them. 
Why? Because I love them. I don't want them to grow up acting selfish, rude, and disrespectful. I'm more concerned with their long-term development than their short-term happiness. And God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. And sometimes God will allow it to have your way to show us that our way doesn't work. So in difficult times, we can't be disappointed. We can be hurt. We can be frustrated. But it's through our frustration, pain, and hurt that drives us to repentance and prayer. It's like C.S. Lewis says that sometimes the flag of pain, that, the, that suffering pain is the flag of truth planted in a rebel soul. That suffering pain is a good thing sometimes for believers. And even in those dark times, we have a hope that God is still working. God is still working. God is still moving. God doesn't forget about us. God's plan, even in difficulties, is to redeem us and restore us. And everything about Daniel's attitudes and actions, the way he thought, the way he treated people, treated people was rooted in his hope. He knew this, that God was in control of who was in control. And he knew that God was one day going to restore Israel as a nation. And if we know we win, we don't really care what's happening in the third quarter, do we? It's no secret. I'll say it loud and proud. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. How many other Cowboy fans do we have up in here? Should I say this? Five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys. I know it's been a tough season. Okay, let me back up there. It's been a tough 20 seasons. <laughs> to be exact. It was 1996, the last time the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. I was still a teenager back then. My forehead was not a seven head, and I still had dark hair. But I remember watching that game. I was a freshman in college. I was watching the game at CC's Pizza. Remember CC's Pizza? There's one here. I haven't stepped into it in years. Man, I'll go to Home Slice up in Austin, but not CC's. But that's what I could afford as a college kid. And the Cowboys built a 13-0 lead against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was in the second half. And the game shifted. The momentum shifted. And the Steelers cut the lead to 21-17. They had the ball in the fourth quarter. They had the momentum. They were about to take the lead. I was so nervous. I couldn't sit down. I was walking back and forth every play. I was cussing in Christianese. You know, I just was watching everything. Like, with one eye, just... Watching the whole game, I thought the Cowboys were going to lose. As the Steelers were marching down the field, about to take the lead, Neil O'Donnell drops back to pass, and he throws the greatest pass in NFL history right into cornerback Larry Brown's hands from the Dallas Cowboys. He intercepts it, and we become five-time world champions, and we partied in the West End in Dallas for weeks. It was awesome. We partied with, like, uh, chips and drinks, and uh, you know what I'm talking about? Dr. Pepper. I've watched that game many times since. Now when the game enters the fourth quarter, and I watch the final drive, and Pittsburgh has all the momentum, and it looks like I'm going to take the lead. I don't get nervous. I sit down there. My heart rate doesn't go up. I'm not upset. Why? Because I know what happens next. Neil O'Donnell throws the interception, and the Cowboys win. And when you know what happens next, you don't despair. Here's what I want you to realize, that panic and despair are never from God. The reason why is there is a last book in our Bible, 
in Revelation, and it tells us what happens in the end. Let me, I, let me tell you, I sneaked a peek this morning, and it said the same thing for years. God wins. Heaven and earth are restored. Man, God is still on the throne. And no matter what happens come November, our hope cannot be shaken. I just want to encourage you, Freedom Church, that our God is in control of who's in control. And I believe if we as Christians would renew our hope in God and his kingdom, we would see things differently. If you want to live with hope, turn off the noise. Quit listening to the news. Get your face out of Facebook. Put it in God's book. And start renewing your hope in God and his kingdom and his purposes. Because even in the midst of dark times, if they come, I'm praying it don't come. But if it does come, God's in control. Not only was Daniel a man of hope, he was a man of deep conviction. Look at verse 8. Second thing he was a man. But Daniel, underline this, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or drink. Daniel was asked to do many things that were uncomfortable. The name change wasn't a big deal because it's just an external change. Call me whatever you want. You can call me Satan's prince. I still know I'm a child of the king. It doesn't matter. Even though he was being taught the occult and astrology, he could filter the lies through the authority of God's word and it would not impact him. But there was one thing that was absolutely against the law of God. It was to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself before his holy God. The word resolved in Hebrew means predetermined resolution. Daniel made this decision ahead of time. And let me tell you, you've got to decide Right now, what you are going to do then. If you're going to walk for God, you cannot be in that moment and make the decision. It's kind of like when I was still dating. I made a decision to honor God with my sexuality. I said I was going to wait until I got married to do the Boomba Woomba, you know. So I made this clear with everybody that I dated. I told them, no Boomba Woomba till we get married. And they said, some of them freaked out. and said it was the last date. And some of them, uh, Jennifer actually, just one of them, stayed with me through the whole process. But you know what? I didn't want to wait till I was married in the backseat of the car, playing tonsil hockey, hockey to decide what I was going to do. I made the decision that I'm not going to put myself in that position. Some of you need to start making predetermined actions to obey God. You need to decide right now I'm not going to be involved in that office gossip. The next time they invite me out, out to a happy hour, I'm not going to take that extra drink. I'll stop at one or I'm not going to drink at all. Decide right now, I'm not going to flirt. I'm not going to be alone with anybody of the opposite sex, especially if I'm married. Predetermine you're going to honor God and you're going to do everything it takes to obey God's word. Even if it means in at work, missing out on that promotion or not getting that deal or fudging on the numbers. Because you predetermined since now that no matter what God's word takes precedence in my life, I don't care what they say. We need to predetermine what we're going to do now then. We need to make a decision to make church a priority again. We need to make our family a priority. We need to make God's word a priority. I know, I love how Daniel handled this situation of being given meat. Look at how he offered to idols. Look at how he handled it. It teaches us so much. Instead of making a protest and saying, we are believers in Yahweh, we would never do that. We cannot eat such evil food to pagan gods. But with wisdom and humility, he presents a plan respecting the authority above him. Watch verse 12. He says, test your servants for 12 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of our youths eat the king's food and be observed by you. Look what it says. When, and here's what I realized. When standing by our convictions, we must always 
exhibit humility. We see this as the third attitude in Daniel's life, humility. He knew that the Babylonians didn't know God and that God had put him in the culture so that he could point them to God, not point out everybody's sin. See, your humility and love for God is meant to build a bridge rather than alienate people that don't believe and think like you. And one of the big problems I'm seeing in our culture is a lot of Christians don't walk in humility. They act in pride and arrogance, and that's the opposite of Jesus. You've seen these Christians on Facebook. They're screaming about everybody. They're calling everybody sinners. They're posting scripture on Facebook, telling the world how evil it is. How many of you guys have some of those Facebook friends? There's, man, they're what I call the Facebook police Christians. They're rude, they're anger, angry, and they have the spiritual gift of annoying. I like what Rick Warren says. He says this, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if we, you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe to do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Isn't that so powerful? This is the example that Daniel gives us. He's standing by his conviction. I am not going to eat that food. Yet he was compassionate and he's walking in humility. Daniel's faith caused him to stand out in his culture. Every time he had breakfast, he stood out because he would not eat like them. Every time he went to lunch, he stood out. Every time he went to dinner, he stood out. And let me tell you, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll stand out to those around you. And what God is looking for people that are in this world but not of this world. Yeah, I know you guys are going out and you guys are going to party tonight and do it, but you know what? I can't do that. I'm going to love my family. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my kids. I know you guys are doing all these things, but I'm going to follow God. And when we follow God, even we can walk in compassion and humility, there's still something different about us that we stand out to a culture and we shout out that Jesus is God. And that's what Daniel did. He was different. And God uses Daniel's plan of not eating meat to reveal himself to a godless culture. This is beautiful. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate at the king's table. Daniel let his actions do the talking just as much as his words. Not only that, but look what it says. Daniel excelled in everything that he did. Look at verse 20. In every matter of wisdom, understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters. Here's the fourth thing that we should do as Christians. We should be a people of excellence. Daniel graduated at the top of his class. So many times as Christians, we compartmentalize our lives. But when we do our jobs with excellence, we stand out to God and it positions us to tell the gospel. Let me tell you, we need people in every area of life that are living differently, that are acting differently, that they're the salt of the world, that they're the light of the world, that they stand out as salesmen, they stand out as doctors, they stand out in every area that there's something different about their lives. And God places us in the culture to reveal his truth to others. And you'll see this throughout the book of Daniel. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream that no wise man, no magician can interpret it. But guess who they call? Daniel. And this could have never happened if he had been 10 times better in the top of his class. And they, when they called Daniel, chapter 2, verse 27, this is what he said. Daniel replied this. No wise man, enchanter, musician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But I love verse eight, 28. But there is a God in heaven who knows these mysteries. 
Daniel points Nebuchadnezzar to his God. And if you go on, he prays for him. And I want you to understand this. This is the same king that took him from his family, that destroyed his homeland, castrated him, forced him to study the occult, and instead of ha hating Nebuchadnezzar, he forgives him and he points him to God, the God of heaven. Here's the fifth thing that Christians need. They need the grace of God. They need the gospel. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Grace. And in his book, he tells a story about a church that decided that they were going to do something called adopt a terrorist. It's pretty crazy. The pastor decided instead of being afraid of those trying to harm them, that they would pray for them. It's impossible to hate those you pray for. How many guys know that? Impossible. So what this church did is they found the FBI's most wanted terrorists. They put their pictures on the screens and they said they learned their names and they challenged every family to adopt one terrorist and pray for them. And they said, when you see terrorism in the news, here's the challenge. I want you for the next 30 days to pray for this terrorist. And this morning, I'm not going to ask you to adopt a terrorist this morning. But I'm going to challenge you to adopt people that you might look at as terrorists. I googled some images of people that some people think are our nation's enemies right now. But let me just tell you as your pastor, people aren't our enemies. Ephesians 6 says this, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't get wrestle against peoples with bodies. But there's a spiritual battle that's going on. And we pray against the battle. And we believe God has saved souls. And instead of hating these people, I, I want to challenge you. From now until election day, every time you hear their name, every time you hear a story about politics, I want you to pray for them. That might be a lot. So that's a lot of praying. So here's the first person I want you to pray for. You might know him, President Trump. Some of you voted for him. Some of you didn't. But if you hate him, you have a problem. Here's my question. What if you pray for him? I don't mean pray like God help him get assassinated. But I mean call him by name. Pray for his family. Pray for his health. Pray for wisdom. Pray for the eyes of his heart to be open to the gospel. What if every time we heard about President Trump's name from now in the election, we pray for him? And not only I want you to pray for President Trump, I want you to pray for this man right here, Joe Biden. What if we pray for his health? Pray for God's direction on his life. Pray for his family. Let me tell you, it's impossible to hate somebody that we pray for. And if you find hostility right now in your heart, I'm just going to challenge you. Maybe your hope is not in the God who is in control of everything that's in control. That we're here like Daniel. Even I don't know how things are going to happen. I don't know how things are going to work out. Yes, I have strong opinions. Yes, I think these. Th yes, I think we got to play a part. But I believe that there's one who's already written the script, and I want to walk in His plan. Not not just pray for them. What if we prayed for the people that are leading our house and our senate? Senate. What if we pray for the Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell? I like some of you guys. Oh, I saw some faces there. You're like, I want my stimulus check. But what if we wouldn't just pray for getting a stimulus check? But what if we pray that God would just open our hearts? What if we pray that revival would take place? What if we prayed, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that we would see that the Lord would have mercy on us and that he would send a revival to our nation. He would send a revival to our leaders and he could change our world because he's the only hope for our country right now. And thank God we have our hope. Let me tell you, Freedom Church, I've told you it over and over, but God's in control of who's in control. 
he will guide our nation where it needs to be. And this is our job, that we live with hope, we live with conviction, we live with humility, we honor God with excellence in everything we do, and we be a people of grace. And that for the rest of our lives, we will point to the God of heaven. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.